Thank you very much for reading and praying. Um, yeah, so uh, what an obscure little passage, right? Um, we'll get to the passage in just a moment. Um, so what we're doing in a kind of our off weeks for the foreseeable future is that we want to fill those gaps intentionally, um, really in one-offs, in what we're calling essentials. And today we're going to talk about the essential of generosity. And you might be thinking, okay, you just talked about end of year giving. It's now the end of the year. Of course, you're going to talk about generosity. And if you've not been in church in years and you go, okay, great, we picked the day. We talk about money. I can't wait. Well, I'll tell you, the last time that we've talked about money was um, Corona time when we were still in Joe Scanlon's uh, and Bo Barron's and Josue's garage, and we were coming to you live from uh, only on live stream. And we had a little round table with one of our financial planners and the people that were in our church. And that's the last, that was a year and a half ago. And so this isn't something that we make um, a habit of, but it is something that Jesus made a habit of. Matter of fact, he talks about two things more than anything else. Hell, isn't that joyful? And money. Uh, those are the two things that he talks about more than anything else. And so um, those aren't the two things that we usually talk about more than anything else. But if you're here today for the first time, it is the thing that you're going to hear about today. Not so much hell, uh, but more about generosity. Now, before we do that, I want to um, ask your forgiveness for two things. Um, this is going to be a fun start to our sermon. So the first thing I want, you to, I want to ask your forgiveness for is uh, I, I went to lunch with uh, a dear, trusted friend of mine this week. One of them, his name is John. I also had an interaction with like a three-year-old last Sunday. And these things were starting to confirm for me some things that were happening within my heart and soul over the last several months. Really, before I went on sabbatical, uh, I just sensed the Lord saying that my leadership voice needs to change. And if you've ever um, had a leadership voice, sometimes that can be different than like who you really are. And so sometimes I think I get up here and I just kind of scream at you guys. And, um, and I've never intended to do that. That's never my intention. So one of my gifts is prophecy, which means truth-telling. And so that may sometimes mean that it feels a little bit um, uh, different than what I intend. And so I just want to first say, uh, man, I'm sorry for not, in, not communicating my heart. More importantly, for the Lord's heart to be communicated through me. Um, I don't want to tell you. I want to invite you. So if you know this about our church, our mission statement is inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life, and that is very convicting for me. I've told you guys about when um, we first started this church, I would tell you to quit inviting your Christian friends. Um, if you don't remember that part of this journey, uh, that was what I would say from the stage. I'd go, hey, quit inviting your Christian friends. They got a church home. You know, they, don't, they don't need us. We're here for the lost. And then I looked at my, our mission statement. It says inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. Not just lost people, but believers too. And so I have to then go back to, recently I've gone back to our mission statement again and gone, it's not scripture, but God does use it in a way that's very convicting for me to go, am I telling people to follow Jesus in all of life or am I inviting? And that's where I think my leadership voice has been a little bit off. I've been telling more than being invitational. So here's the deal, right? I want to tell you that for a few reasons. Number one, I need to confess that to you. I need to apologize to you. But number two, I'm going to continue to ask you to do hard things. That's not going to end. Um, and so that's this church, right? This church, one part of our DNA is we're going to follow Jesus in all of life, which means we've got to die. And that means the difficulty of, of, of dying to yourself and following Jesus. But here's what I know, one of the things that I know, is that one of the things that we ask you to do on a regular basis is to do something that you don't know how to do. It's clumsy, it's difficult, it's awkward, um, just like me apologizing to you in public. So I'm going to model out doing something difficult and awkward and hope that you know it's, it's all right. It's not, it's not such a dangerous place to be after all. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell you that. Number two, I really mean it, and you guys need to hear it. The other apology that I need to make is about the topic for the day. 
not necessarily my leadership voice. I do hope that it becomes more invitational over time. Guaranteed, I'll probably be screaming in a week or two. But we're going to repent of that, and we're going to try and find that new voice, okay? Everybody going to be patient with that, please? Okay, love you too, bro. All right, that was, do you have a microphone on? My gosh. Bro. Holy moly. Don't give that man a bullhorn, any amplification. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate you, brother. Love you too, man. All right, that's number one. Number two. Um, uh, number two, I need to apologize in regards to this topic. All right, in the past, I have told you, don't worry about percentages when, you talk, when I talk about generosity. That's got a good heart behind it. Um, like it's, I've even taught, uh, uh, here's my deal. In an effort to free you from some arbitrary law, I have uh, unintentionally de-emphasized the law. Okay, so the Old Testament, the whole counsel of Scripture still is really good for believers today. Okay, so I have intentionally not used words like tithe when we've talked about giving. I intentionally use words like giving and generosity, and those are really well-meaning and good things. But I want to tell you that the Bible says to tithe. And if you don't know where that comes from, it comes from uh, this beautiful little story where Abraham gives a tenth of all of his possessions to a priest named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, as it says in the book of Hebrews, is the order from which Jesus comes, and he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It is my personal conviction, you don't have to believe this, it's my personal conviction that Melchizedek was Jesus. So if Abraham is giving a tenth of all he has to Jesus, surely we should? And also, Jesus also says, when I said don't worry about percentages, I think Jesus actually worries about percentages a little bit. Do you remember this little story? He's in the temple, and he's watching people bring their tithes in. How would you like it if I watched the people when they brought their tithes in? Okay? He's watching the people bring their tithes in, and the Pharisees come, and they're giving out of their wealth. But the widow comes in, and she gives two copper coins. It's the widow's might, right? And he says to his disciples, Man, they ain't given nothing. Although monetarily, it's way more than just the two, uh, two little copper coins. Um, he's saying she's giving. Blessed is she because she's giving everything she has. What is he blessing in that moment? Her percentage. She is blessing. He is blessing the 100% that she's giving to the Lord. And he's not blessing the thousands and thousands of dollars that, say, the Pharisees were giving. So I want us to just understand, like, Jesus is, is, is certainly um, interested in our percentage. He was with them. I think he is with us. So I don't want to shy away from percentage anymore, although I've done that. So I need to apologize to you that I've done that unintentionally, although well-intentioned. Um, to free you and to free me, it's been, um, it's been neglectful of God's whole counsel. So I want to put that before you. Now you know there's percentages. Here's the deal. Somewhere north of 10% of your pre-tax income, like I'm going to get real specific, because the Bible says your first fruits, and somewhere right around 100%, anywhere above 10 and around 100 is somewhere in there is what generous is for you. Okay, so still there is this emphasis in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8, we'll talk about this, and 9. There's ta he talks about generosity and faithfulness and sacrifice, but I, I just want to put those two apologies before you as, a, as like a, uh, okay, we're going to get started soon, but first, some previews to the show, two lovely public apologies, okay? 
How's that a good, is a good start for the day? Everybody good? Some people say that you have to have a hook before you look at the book. I hope that the apologies are my hook. Are you dialed in now? Okay, those are sincere. Those are real. You can hold me accountable. If I shy away from percentages in the future, you say, hey, bro, you can't do that. Remember that time, November 20th, 2021, right before we had Thanksgiving, you said, when I, when I unintentionally uh, tell instead of invite, um, maybe give it a week and then tell me that you noticed. I'm just telling you, I've been in a funk all week because I've been trying to figure that, that part of my leadership voice out. So be patient with me. I'm going to try and be patient with myself. All right, now. On to today. Are we ready now? All right. Beautiful. I love it when y'all talk back, by the way. Y'all should never shy from that. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Today, we are going to talk about generosity flowing from gratitude. I changed the title and I forgot to tell Alan. See, your generosity towards me in this moment, I so appreciate. Generosity flowing from gratitude. Okay. Now, look, I want to tell you this right now. Again, another little precursor. I am not preaching on generosity because we are in dire need. Most of you, some of you have a church experience where we get to November and December and then they start laying it on thick that you better start giving or else we're not going to be able to turn the lights on. I can tell you right now, we don't have any lights to keep on. So we're pretty lean, right, in our operations, right? And so that's not our issue. Instead, I want to tell you, like, you are are a very generous people. We're probably going to have the best financial year we've ever had in seven years of the growth. I am not preaching out of desperation or because we're in the red and we need you guys to give or else. I am instead preaching on this because one, we've asked for more money at the end of the year than we've ever asked before for something that we've never put before you before. And that is the, the, the possibility of property, which is right next door where the big pile of dirt is. That's a, that's a real possibility that if the Lord provides for us, we need to be ready for And if the Lord doesn't provide it, either through us or through them, then we know it ain't the Lord, right? And we're all good with that kind of provision. But nonetheless, that's not even the main main reason why I'm putting this before you. Your generosity is a discipleship issue. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, your heart is going to follow whatever it is that you value the most. And some of it is possession. Some of it is accumulation. Some of it is we got to just keep and we got to hold and we got to hoard. And I'm not even really talking about money. I'm talking about that's the posture of our heart. So as we move into this, this is a discipleship issue beyond anything else, beyond what we're asking for, beyond what we're praying for, beyond these updates that we have. This is a measure of how well we're going to follow Jesus or not. And therefore, it always bears repeating whether we're in a season of giving or, or Easter or whatever it may be, certainly it's important. All right, now, back in August, we put before you five family devotions. You guys remember those, I'm sure, but I'll replay them just for my own sake, not for yours, of course. And there were these five, five family devotions that we put before you were right out of Acts chapter 2. And we talked about we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we further define that as gospel centrality, that the life, death, And resurrection and ascension of Jesus is the central of everything that we do. We talked about the apostles' teaching. We talked about being devoted to the fellowship, which we then redefined as committed partnership with one another. We talked about being devoted to the breaking of bread, and that all of life would be lived in memorial to Jesus. 
We talked about being devoted to the prayers that we would have gospel, excuse me, God dependency, not just as we pray, but that we'd be a praying people because we are dependent on God for everything. We also said that we would be devoted to missional living, that we would do ordinary, normal things. Go do baseball, go do softball, go do a grocery store with disciple-making intentionality. We would at some point have conversations with people about where they're at with Jesus and invite them to follow him. And in the midst of all that passage, there is this vision. There's this vision about what the community of God could be if we actually believed in a life devoted to generosity. And I want to read two of those passages. Acts 2, 44 through 45. It's going to come up on the screen, I pray. Acts 2 says this. And all who believed, remember, those five devotions are right out of Acts 2. This is the next verse. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is the early church. There was nowhere else to go except one another. It goes on in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And this is the kind of people that God's generosity then produced in their hearts. Now the full number of those who believed were one, of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. You want to get a baseline understanding of generosity? It's that you own nothing. Not anything that you purchase, not anything that you've put on layaway or on finance. Do they do layaway anymore? No, you just have a credit card. Boop, done. Right? And anybody can get qualified for that. So, like, that's the baseline here is that there is nothing that I have that I own. It is all belonging to Jesus. I am his steward of 100% of whatever I have. That includes my kids. See, I'm not even talking about money right now. That includes my kids. That includes my calendar. That includes my gifts that I might give to the church. And of course, it includes our treasure, what's in our bank account. So that is what is, is here. And I just want to ask, what is compelling the New Testament church to live like that? And we're going to answer that. But before we get there, I think the, the obscure, weird passage that I had them read for us today will give us some good understandings as, as to some barriers for us on why we don't live that way naturally. So if I can, I'm going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 once more. It's just a, three little verses. We're going to try and find five barriers, and then we're going to find the fuel on how to live past those barriers, okay? All right, Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, he went through cities and villages, and he proclaimed, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. That would be his apostles, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, which is where she was from, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, or Chusa, Herod's household manager, Herod, he was a Roman official. His wife is now following Jesus. Can you imagine that? And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. I think in here there are five barriers to generosity. And, and, and here's the, the beauty in all this. Like I put this on our website for uh, the end of your giving stuff because this is a beautiful passage. Did you know Jesus' ministry was supported in large part by three women? Did you know that? 
But the very gospel, the very kingdom of God was supported in large part by three women who are named right here in Luke chapter 8. What's interesting, that's so fascinating to me, because here's the deal. If you want a, a baseline understanding of generosity, here's what I would say. It is a posture of open-handedness towards Jesus' people and purposes. I will say that again. It is a posture of open-handedness towards Jesus' people and his purposes. If you notice, the 12 were traveling with Jesus. They had already sacrificed everything they had. Peter, we know, was married, and he'd left his home with his wife to go and follow Jesus. Many others had left everything they knew, fishing businesses, tax collecting, which was very fruitful. All the things that they had, they left all that to follow Jesus. They were already being generous, that posture of open-handedness with everything they had for Jesus' purposes and his people. You see, these women were healed and delivered and named for all of eternity. Everyone here was transformed by Jesus' generosity and their most natural instinct after being transformed by God's generosity is to sacrifice everything they have. Is to live open-handed with every single thing that they have so that the kingdom and the gospel can go forth. So again, I'm going to put before you five barriers to generosity. Number one, confusion. Confusion. I don't know about you and what your mailbox looks like, what your inbox looks like, what your Facebook feed looks like, but Giving Tuesday is coming, and everyone in their dog has a cause that you should give to. Your alumni association, the GoFundMe of, of whatever else just happened, uh, the, the nonprofit that you're super passionate about, there are so, there are, I mean, you name it, and someone has come up with a reason for you to give on Giving Tuesday, which you should. But there's some confusion about what you probably should prioritize. And again, I'm going to go back to the scriptures here uh, without reading them, but, but just you got to trust me here. And if you want to go back and read them, I'll give them to you later. But for the sake of time, over and over and over again, does God's word say to us, first fruits, this percentage at least, in generosity, not out of duty, not because you have to, but because you want to, right? Do we give to the local church, to your local place? Why is it your local place? Because that's the place that your spiritual life depends on. It's the place you're getting discipled. It's the place you're getting God's word. It's the place that you will receive whatever benevolence that you need. If you're a widow, this is where you get taken care of. If you're an orphan, hopefully we're doing a good job of that too. This is the place that we are, not to mention mission both locally and abroad. This is the place where, number one, you're hopefully getting your uh, nutritious spiritual meal, but also that we can send that out for others. And Jesus is clear, at least Luke, the good doctor, is clear, right? There are two things that you emphasize. And so I would just say, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to prioritize, again, first fruit and at least 10% of this, of, of what you have to Jesus. Number one, it is the place where your life is transformed by Jesus. You see, that's what you see with these men and women. Their lives have been transformed. And so I would ask, wherever your life is being transformed, wherever you're being challenged and encouraged to follow Jesus, you got to prioritize that place. Above the nonprofits, above the GoFundMes, that's where you got to prioritize. So if that's not here, awesome. Go do it wherever it is. But also, make sure that place is centered around the things that Jesus was centered around. Look at what he was doing. He was going out through all the cities and villages. And what was his main priority? 
proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The place that we must prioritize with our generosity is the place and the people that are proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom, both locally and abroad. So when we do partnership meetings in January, we unpack our annual budgets. We're trying to make sure you know that, that we're prioritizing these things, proclaiming and bringing in one way or another. That's confusion is your first barrier. Your second barrier, and I'm going to move a little bit quicker, is dependence. We don't like living dependent lives. Um, I know that out of personal experience, but I also know that because Jesus commands us to abide in him in dependence. And if there's a command there, we have to also realize it's probably not our natural leaning. So he commands us, but he also models it. You know, if there's one person that didn't need to be dependent upon any financial resources, it would be Jesus. You remember when it was time to pay the taxes? And um, it was time to pay the taxes, and they were asking him, like, oh, you don't pay the taxes, man? And he was like, well, I'll pay the taxes, Peter. Hey, Pete, hey, could you do me a favor? Um, go and put your line in the water, and the first fish you catch, there's going to be a shekel in its mouth. And now go, and you take that shekel, and you go into the temple, and you pay taxes for the both of us. If there's anybody that does not need to live dependently on other people, it would be Jesus. He takes shekels out of the fish mouth and pays whatever he needs to pay. And yet we see in this scripture his choice to live dependently on people. Why would he do that? I think he's inviting us for our formation to also live dependently. You know as well as I do, anytime we put before you end of your giving or any week that you're called to give, there's a little voice in the back of your head asking a little bit of a question. Will I live dependent upon God or will I choose to live dependently on myself? And we are faced with the tension here, number one of the buzz, we're just going to ignore that even though I just called it out. Will I live dependently upon me or will I live dependently upon God? We are faced with a tension. If I give too much, what will this cost my future? I don't know if you do that cost-benefit analysis when you're giving, but I do. If I give too much, what's it going to cost me? Is it going to take away from vacation? Is it going to take away from that remodel? Is it going to take away from whatever? And the answer is yes, as it should. Because this is, again... God calling us to sacrifice for Jesus' purposes and his people. So instead of asking the question, what is it going to cost me in the future, I wonder what would happen if we asked, what about God might I miss out on if I don't follow him with what I treasure? What about God might I miss out on if I don't follow him with what I treasure? That's barrier, barrier number two. Barrier number three, we have warfare. You might be thinking to yourself, wow, that's really intense. Well, the Bible tells us some things here. Mary of Magdalene, who had seven demons come out of her. I'm going to bet you she wasn't able to be generous because of the demonic oppression that she had. But when the demonic oppression that she had left, she was able now to be named as someone who was being generous. So if you are having trouble letting go open-handedly of your possessions or the things that you possess, or the things that you have, the things that you treasure, which includes your kids, which includes your time, which includes your talent, which includes the things that you are treasuring. If you have a, a hard time living open-handedly, perhaps that you don't have those possessions, perhaps they possess you. 
Perhaps there's also some demonic influence, and I don't mean to over-spiritualize here, but it's right here. Perhaps there's demonic influence that's standing against your obedience and your following Jesus in this way. And perhaps there's, there's a time to pray and discern on whether or not that is something that's going on in your life. I'm not saying if you don't give, you must be dealing with demons. But I am saying it's a possibility, at least according to Scripture, that there could be demonic influence if, that's standing against your obedience and you're following him. It's a possibility, and we have to at least discern that. That's number three. Number four, isolation. You cannot know the needs of the community without being in the community. And these men and women were in the community, following Jesus with their whole life. They knew exactly what Jesus needed. They knew exactly what the disciples needed. If they needed lodging, they went to go find lodging. Everything was based and rooted around being in the community. If you're isolated from community, if you've cut yourself off, I'm going to talk to the camera now. If you are at home still a year and a half 20 months into corona, and you've not come to church, not to this one or any, one, any other, it's time to understand that you are in isolation and the enemy wants nothing more for you than to continue to be away from God's people. That's what he does. He ro roars around like a, like a prowling lion. What do prowling lions do? They look for the weak and the wounded and they isolate them before they take them out. So friends, we have to be in community. We've got to get into it for more reasons than just generosity, for your own spiritual well-being. We, you all are here. I'm a little bit preaching to the choir, but I'm also preaching to whoever's on the other side of that camera. There are many people that will watch us week in and week out, and, and praise God for that technology, but at some point, that's got to end, and we've got to get into community again, okay? You guys know this. You guys are all looking at me, and you're like, yeah, I got it. Cool. All right. The last barrier before I move on to the fuel. Worth. Worth. You see, Mary was demon-possessed. I'm going to bet you that she didn't have a lot to give before, not to mention afterwards. I'm going to bet that demon-demonic possession isn't real good for productivity um, in society, but what she did have, she gave it. Uh, there was something there that she valued more than whatever she had. You see, Mary was demon-possessed. Joanna was the wife of a politician's head of a household. Susanna had no other descriptor indicating that she was probably not married and certainly not wealthy or of wealthy means. All these women would have been socially accused of being a harem for Jesus and his disciples. They would have been accused socially of being a harem for Jesus and his disciples. Why would they risk their reputation to give all that they have for the ministry of Jesus? And furthermore, why would Jesus risk being falsely accused of something like that? Because they found that following and supporting Jesus and his ministry to be far more worthy than whatever social status they could either gain or lose. Their priorities for worshiping Jesus... That came first, and everything else came after that. And no loss or accusation dissuaded them. So they were all in, right? Those are the five barriers that I think Luke chapter 8 gives us. Again, confusion, dependence, warfare, isolation, and worth. What's going to, I don't know if that's, you find yourself in one of those barriers. Perhaps you find yourself in a different barrier. One that I'm not choosing to um, unpack. 
But whatever barrier it is that, that you sense standing against, whatever it is that you're called to be generous with, uh, I wonder what's going to fuel you past that. And of course, with the title of the sermon, it's the fuel for generosity is gratitude. It's gratitude. Every man and woman mentioned in Luke chapter 8 had been transformed by the power of the gospel. There are 12 men mentioned here with a group and three women amongst many others who provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. You know who also is there? Judas. Judas was there. And you know, he wasn't transformed by the gospel. And what do we know about Judas? What were some of his habits with the disciples? What we know about him is that his lack of transformation, yes, led to deep betrayal of Jesus, but what else did his lack of transformation lead to? Dabbling in the money bag. He's not generous. He's stingy. He's a thief. It is about money. There's something there that when our hearts get transformed, we have deep gratitude for who Jesus is, and we're willing to give up whatever it may be for him. You see, that's kind of an, this interesting concept in all of this. And I'll tell you, again, generosity and gratitude go hand in hand. When we are transformed by Jesus, we become grateful to him. And when we are grateful to him, we are generous. We see this principle not just in Luke 8, but if you just go up into Luke 7. Luke 7, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you read verses 36 through 50, you'd start to see this beautiful picture of Jesus going to dinner. He's generous. He's going to dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. He's at Simon the Pharisee's house, and he goes in, and Simon the Pharisee doesn't kiss him. Simon the Pharisee doesn't wash his feet, nor does anybody else in his household. But what happens? They recline at the table, and there is a woman there. And they note her as a sinner. And she comes over to Jesus and she lays at his feet. And she does something that would have been a major social no-no. She lets her hair down. As a Middle Eastern woman, you don't let your hair down for anybody except your husband. She let her hair down as she wept over Jesus, washing his feet with her hair and tears. A, an unbelievable picture of worship and adoration. And then she takes ointment and she pours it on Jesus. Everything she had, she's just pouring it all over him. And Simon the Pharisee starts to do this little number. Man, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd have known that lady's a sinner. And Jesus looks at Simon. You better know something's coming. Jesus looks at Simon and he says this, hey buddy, come here, I got something to ask you. Verse 41. Actually right there before that 41, Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well say it teacher. Good posture to have, we better be ready to receive. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Oh, he's got him right where he wants him. Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, uh, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has, wet, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. 
but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The measure by which you are generous is the measure by which you are thankful towards what God has done for you. You see, it's Jesus' words. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. Whoever forgives little gives little. Whoever is forgiven little shows kindness a little. Whoever is forgiven little forgives others a little. Whoever is forgiven little sacrifices a little. Whoever is forgiven a little follows just for a little while. But gratitude fuels generosity, and generosity goes far beyond money. But a disposition of kindness, of open-handedness towards Jesus, his people, and his purposes. And it is often most obvious in someone's life with what they do, with what they treasure. Our generosity towards God and his people and his purposes are directly tied to the gratitude for which he has done for you. And so I ask you, what do you realize that God has done for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For though, that was John 3, 16, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though Jesus was rich in heaven, For your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see the great exchange here? You see what kind of God that we serve and we love? And he says, I want your first ten. This is why, because though you were once far off, though you were once enemies of the king of kings, he brought you close by the blood of Jesus and now calls you his friends though you were once a sinner God came and died for you in Romans 5 and now calls you not a sinner but a holy one a saint you see all you have a relationship with God a solid community a good church the word of God any ounce of faith or desire to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit who is in you, the the understanding that God's beauty is being made known in creation, the promises of a safe and secure passage to eternity, all these things God has given you in Christ Jesus, all the promises of all time and all of Scripture are yes and amen in Jesus, and He was given for you. And so not just these spiritual blessings, a sound mind, The breath in your lungs, the last heartbeat, the next heartbeat, the one that you'll forget about later on or in like five seconds, your beautiful children or the lack thereof, both beautiful gifts for your station in life, your next meal, your last meal, not to mention your job and any material possessions that you have. It's all from him. That's it. So so then the question is, if he's been that generous with you, what is our response? Not out of duty, not because I have to, but out of deep wells of gratitude. I deserve nothing. You could take it away in a heartbeat and you'd be fully justified in taking away everything, just like you did with Job. You'd be fully justified. But in your mercy, you've given everything that I have, everything that I treasure. What will I do with it? 
what will I do? And, and from what will, 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 it, will it be given in or taken in? So again, how much do you realize that you have been forgiven? I pray that we would be a people who love, give, proclaim, and demonstrate the gospel just like they did in Luke 8 because we have been loved deeply. Again, the relationship to how you view yourself and how you view what God has done directly for you is related. If you think you are not that bad of a sinner, then Jesus can't be that good. And if you think you are the chief of sinners, then Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you, you weary sinner, we weary sinners, chief of sinners, if I identify that that's me, then the act of what Jesus has done for you is the chief of all actions. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we were running, while we had a bad idea of what the Messiah should be, he died for us. From that beautiful truth, may we live lives of deep gratitude. And from the deep gratitude on the week of Thanksgiving, when you sit around your table and you, you go, okay, guys, what are you thankful for this year? Jesus, for everything that he's given me. It's him. And that may sound cliche, but it's Jesus. And because he's given so much, man, what? 10% is all you need? All right, I got it. I'm, I'm on that. It's easy. And you realize the deep reservoir from which Jesus has given to us. Let's pray and let's thank God for all these things. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for not being stingy with your son. Thank you for not being stingy with your spirit. Thank you for not being stingy with your word, which guides us, comforts us, corrects us, rebukes us. Thank you for coming and seeing our plight, wanderers and runners, from the good God of all creation, and not giving up on us, coming after us, coming after us again and again, bringing us close to the God of all creation. Lord, you've set a table up, and you've made a place for us at that table, and we're going to celebrate that in a moment with communion. I pray, Lord, that we would be all present, all here for that. And that we would be um, truly have hearts of gratitude, not just as we sing, but also as we respond in all of life, Monday to Sunday this week. We can't do any of this by ourselves. We are called to live dependently upon your son, Jesus. We want to be the branches that are firmly connected to the vine. So Holy Spirit, help us. Where we're wandering and straying, where we're maybe not as generous with our posture towards God and his people and purposes, Lord, convict us. Help us see what's right and wrong. We cannot do this without you. Maybe it's the community of God that will help us see these things. But nonetheless, we want to follow you with all that we are. And if that's not our posture, I pray that it would be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.